Did um did you show Kelsey the picture I sent you earlier? I did, yeah. She was like, "What's that?" And I was like, "I was like, it's a new car." And then I was telling her, yeah, I was telling her about the um like how we were looking at uh, CRVs for her, uh-huh. and um yeah, she she liked it, and I told her how much it cost, and she was like, "Did you tell Isaac what I do for work?" And I was like. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> she's a school teacher. <laughs> I thought you, yeah, I think you told me that. Oh, well, yeah. I forgot if I did or not. Yeah. She'd be the coolest teacher in, in the school. She definitely would be in that thing. <laughs> I like them, and I really didn't know much about them, but I think I had, I think I had a uh, Q5, though, for a loaner once Probably. or twice. Yeah. yeah. But not, obviously not the S. Yeah. We but have, when I started there three years ago, almost, uh, we had we had two SQ5s in the loaner fleet. Which Are you serious? It doesn't happen often. Um, wow. And over the last year, we and we, what we did is the SQ5s, and we had a, a handful of Q7s, um, a couple of A7s, some A6s. We had more variety than we do now, mm-hmm. and the the like more special cars like the A7s and the SQ5s and the um, even I think the Q7s. We would whole like we would set aside and only put them out if we needed to um and then we would let all all the normal stuff out more frequently but um over the last year they've kind of been flushing out a lot of the newer stuff just because it's it's really expensive to have 50 plus brand new audis in your loaner fleet Mm -hmm. um so what they've been doing is getting ones that are like a year or two old and putting them in the fleet. And so that's how we got our current SQ5. We have one that uh, we just put in a fleet like two weeks ago. Um, oh, nice. So if it's ever available, I'll, uh, I'll get you in it. But I like yeah, it. Let me know. I always say if I was in the mood or in the market for an SUV, I would probably get an SQ5 because it's nice and sporty. It's got decent seats. Not my favorite seats of the Audi line, but it's got decent seats. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the S4, S5 motor so it's the th- uh, three liter turbocharged v6 mm-hmm. um and yeah it's i mean it's a nice car and then the one i showed you is in last year the 2021 models they started coming out with this q5 sportback so it's like a mini q8 or something like that mm-hmm. it's basically a less usable suv which i don't understand the purpose of but they sell really well so that's all that matters well, it looks good. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. looks sporty, I think. Yeah. Like I tell people like a Q8 and that style of SUV is for people that they like the way cars look, but they want to sit higher. Yeah. And so that's like a compromise if they don't necessarily care about the, the cargo capacity as much, you know, because you do lose a little bit because it's more sloped in the back. Right, right. right. I think it looks sharp. I would love to, mm-hmm. I would love to take that thing out if it's around ever. Yeah. It's um, maybe, maybe when my uh, car comes in for the recall. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I was thinking that. Um, we'll see. It's we only have one, and it has been out most of the time. So, because we've been really short recently. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're cool cars. They sound good uh, and they're fun. Are they the ones that have um, like fake exhaust cutouts on the on the bumper? It's got like it's got like. You know, it's so, like plastic. There's no actually exhaust outlets there. Yeah. Um, it's even worse this year. So when they did the facelift for 21, um, 
one of the guys that used to work with me, he moved and he moved to the West Coast. He bought a SQ5 and it has like chrome exhaust tips molded into the bumper. Mm-hmm. Or I should say chrome tubes molded into the bumper that look like exhaust tips, but they're actually just dummies. And like mm-hmm. the muffler itself has turned down tips to mm-hmm. turn down underneath the car. Almost like, remember, um, the Fox Body Mustang GTs had mm-hmm. turned down tips. It's just like that. Whereas well, bef- before the facelift, it was like the Mustang LXs where it went up straight out through the bumper or underneath the bumper. It's a weird thing, but like to me, it's it detail. Just, yeah, that's an important detail. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I was sending you those uh, Mercedes CLA cars, right? I noticed that the CLA, I don't know, looking at was like 18 or 19. The exhausts were into the bumper and they came through like actual exhaust but i didn't like the way they looked there was like um box and like a little like diagonal in the middle i just didn't love it it didn't look sporty to me yeah but the new the new ones the brand new ones you know are more like the most of the s model audis they have like quad exhaust right Mm -hmm. so like that's how it should be um in my opinion for like a sport car like that fun fact um, if you ever looked at one of the new Camrys, each have like the XSEs have quad exhaust, mm-hmm. both sides. Only one of them actually has exhaust coming out of it. Mm-hmm. So, like I noticed that the other day, I was like, wow, like the inside of that pipe is super like sooty. And mm-hmm. the one right next to it is like, like brand new clean. So like I looked at it and it's like, it's not, it's like barely hooked up and like nothing comes out of it. It's stupid. Just for luck. Yeah. Yeah. And for most for sure. people... Most people don't even notice that and they think it looks great, but like it just bothers me. It's like something stupid like that, but it's like fake scoops on a hood. Yeah. Drives me nuts. And there's like probably half a percent of people actually like realize that. But like even even the Audis, like, you know, they they're most of them have, or at least the S ones are valve. And my car is biased to the interior pipes. And the two outside ones, they have the valves in them. When you clean them, You'll have the two inside ones are like super dirty and the two outside ones are like, eh. So I coded them to not shut. They're always open. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's like little tiny things would probably make me not buy a dirty camera. There are a lot of tricks that companies do to achieve certain things that, you know, when when you pay attention to them, it really sticks out to you and you notice it. Something I've noticed on my way to work a lot, I get behind this BMW X1. Uh, it's a few years old, but I get behind it. And when you get to a red light and it's idling, the flap in the muffler opens because their muffler or their flaps, and this is a base model. It's not even like an M. The muffler has two tips coming out. And when it's stopped, both are open. And then after it hits about five miles an hour, the one closes. And mm-hmm. so there's only one letting flow out. And first I'm like, that's interesting they have it on like a plain Jane model and not a sport model. Two, why does it open when it's stopped and close when it's going? And so I was thinking about it. The only thing I can think of is that they probably have, have you ever sit, sat in an automatic car at a light and it's just like vibrating the whole car and there's like droning and resonance. Some older Hondas do that, like from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, my only thought that why this might work is if they have the valve open when it stopped 
there's less pressure. And so it's quieter or um, there's just something different interior wise for NVH, noise, vibration, harshness. Yeah. That that's all I can think of because as soon as it hits like five miles an hour, it's closed. Yeah. And I'm sure if she would ever floor it, which she would never do because it's a soccer mom driving an SUV. I right. would, I'm sure it would open again to allow some more flow, but that's the only reason I could think of that it would open at a stop. Other thing about, I've noticed that too. Um, I don't like how closely the valves are placed to the opening of the outlet. Cause you can see them mm. actuating, you know, if you're sitting in the right, you know, the mm-hmm. right car, we can, you know, headlights are shining in there. I don't know. I don't like that stuff. Like it just bothers me. That'll be, that'll be another topic. Non-actuated exhaust versus actuated exhaust. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like them. I like that they're becoming more common um, because it gives you the option. If you want to have it quiet, you can. And mm-hmm. then if you want to be able to hear it, you can as well. Cause that way you don't have like this um, loud exhaust all the time. So like, if you ever, like, if you live in a, in a neighborhood where you leave early in the morning and you have, a, you want to have a sporty car that sounds good, but you also don't want to be that jerk in the neighborhood that's got the loud car that wakes everybody up. You can have the best of both worlds. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. I definitely that's agree with that. That's the only time I would have my exhaust quiet. Like yeah. at least if it's a relatively normal exhaust, like if it's completely opened up, then, you know, if you're commuting in it, you probably have it closed. But like for just for example, like any of the Audi models or like her dad's M4, we have those muffler flaps open all the time because it's not obnoxious loud because obviously it had to pass federal standards, mm-hmm. but you can still, as enthusiasts, we enjoy that noise and it sound mm-hmm. it doesn't have any, it's been tuned from the factory to not have any weird drones or resonances. So it works, but you can also have it quiet like a normal car if you want to. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, the functionality of it, I'm definitely on board with. I don't like like the like the faux stuff. Like, like I don't know why they did those dummies. Like, what's the point of that to me? Like, I don't even I don't even think it looks good, which is like surprising to me because like you would think that. And I, I I just don't get it. I guess I don't know. Flip that around, and it's something that you don't have to clean soot off of. The average person is like, True. you know, why does my why does my X number of thousands of dollar car have black exhaust tips i'm sorry Mm -hmm. that's just normal engine operation um yeah but it looks bad i'm like okay well here's your solution (laughs) you have this fake exhaust tip on your bumper um it's also probably cheaper in some way to produce you know because it's just part of the bumper mold or it's a it's actually i think probably a separate piece that just clips into the bumper it's it's less to do and like if you're some companies like you mentioned running the, the tip into the bumper and then they just have uh, like a finisher around it that's molded into the bumper and yeah. that requires a whole bunch of engineering to get that to look right and fit right and all this stuff and so there's compromises there too so every company has their reasons for doing things various ways and I I find it interesting look, observing how they come to their conclusion while I may not agree with it I can appreciate the engineering that went behind it in the thought process yeah I think you know I think that's a, a valid point and uh, maybe I should be less critical, but yes. I no, no, right. you're, <laughs> as an enthusiast, I, I'm totally right there with you. Um, sorry, I, I get it. It's good to see other, it's good to see the other, the other side of it though. I think that 
if we could all do that a little bit more and all spec all aspects of life would be in a good spot you know i have a new product for tonight okay and a, a dremel tool oh wow i was just talking about that at work today or yesterday oh yeah i'm like i want a dremel for this one job but i can't justify buying a dremel and i'm like do i want to buy a name brand dremel do i want to buy one that fits with the power tool batteries i have like Dude, 950 right here. I paid more in shipping than the actual product. <laughs> Have you ever and used it had, before? Yeah, but it's been a long time. But this thing comes with all yeah. kinds of attachments and everything. Yeah. I would definitely get it. If you're whatever project you're thinking about, yeah. I bought it for the rims. So I'm trying to resurface. Okay. Do you think um, that'll work it? having that kind of a tool? Um, I'm not sure. You were using. You were using like a sanding pad on your drill, right? Uh, no, I've been doing it by hand. I, I oh. got a sanding pad on my drill and it wasn't working. Okay. Um, at least for this particular wheel, just creating flat spots, I guess. Mm. Yeah, you got to be careful. It's, it's just like sanding wood. Like if you, if yeah. you're not careful, you can get in one spot and then you have like this divot. I would be the worst body man because this is <laughs> literally going to take me forever to do. Like forever. <laughs> The car probably won't even last by the time these things are done. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was like, you know, it was, it was the other night. It was like a Saturday night. It was, you know, I had a couple of drinks. I was just hanging out. And I'm like, let me look up Dremel tools. So I got on, I somehow I came across Harbor Freight. You know, which we all know Harbor Freight's like, it is what it is. This thing mm -hmm. will probably die on me in two, in two rims, but we'll give it a try. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, for $9, like, it has all these attachments to it. I mean, how can you, even if this is a total piece of crap, it's worth the $9. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're not really losing anything. But that's Especially my if, idea. It save, if it saves you time, it's like worth the, it's worth the risk. You could call it like if it dies, you know, 20 minutes in, I'm out nine bucks. Yeah. If it works awesomely, then I save myself how many hours? It's funny though. Like, I don't know about you, but like for me, at least if I can do something myself, I'd rather not pay for it. For instance, a lot of people take their shirts to like get dry cleaned, like mm. their work shirts. I, I just iron them. And if you're like, oh, it's only like two or three dollars a shirt. Like, well, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. If I can like, I can iron it easily myself. Mm -hmm. Same thing with these wheels. Like, I don't know. I guess it's also like a you know you go spend whatever a thousand dollars for new rims for a 2006 Honda. I don't know. Would it be way easier? Yeah, it would. I think it's something. There's like satisfaction, at least for me, in restoring something. You know, it's like, okay. Like this this is how it showed up, and like this is how it's going to end. I'm probably spending more money in products at this point than it would have cost me to just go buy another like a refurbished wheel. <laughs> right. But it's you know I guess it's the personal aspect of it. Yeah, it's. You know, it's a pride of being able to know that you you were industrious enough to do it yourself and, you know, pride of workmanship and stuff like that. I'm just like, that's why I try to do as much to my cars as I can, like maintenance wise, yeah. you know, because I have the tools and the ability, if, as long as it's not something that is going to be detrimental if I screw it up or that I haven't mm -hmm. done before, then I usually try to take it on myself and figure it out. Yeah. And I, I mean, there, if you think about it, there's, there's probably not too much that you could do that you'd really like screw up unless it was something like, like the normal stuff, like brakes and all that stuff. I mean, that's, 
pretty cut and dry standard stuff. Like motor, like that kind of thing, probably. I don't know if I would mess around with that. But like I, love, I, I love doing maintenance. Yeah. When I had my golf, the I had had the timing belt done like every 80,000 miles on that. And on the diesel one? Yeah. 80,000 miles? Mm-hmm. Jeez. The two sounds biggest, like a lot. The two most frequent maintenance things on that car were the fuel filter, which is every uh, 15,000 miles. And the timing belt, which was every 80. And that the timing belt is the fuel filter I kind of did myself, but the timing belt I took to a dealer to have it done because on that generation of TDI, it the fuel injection was actually timed off of the timing belt. So the timing belt turned the cam, obviously, for the valves, but it also um, turned or because with diesel, since there's no spark, you act, the ignition is controlled by timing when the fuel is injected and how much. And that's mm-hmm. all run off the timing belt that normally runs just a cam in a normal engine. And so I didn't have the proper tools to make sure everything stayed lined up properly or mm-hmm. to recalibrate it if it became off time. So I'm like, I'm just not going to even try to bother. I'm just going to take it to the dealer. Whereas if it was like, you know, a standard engine with you know, no variable timing cams on gears and stuff like that, like an old basic Honda engine. Um, I probably could have done it because, you know, you just have to get in there. And once you're in there, you just wrap it around the cogs like you do anything else. Um, but when it come, when it came to having timing involved, I didn't have the, yeah. the yeah. skill or the know-how or the tools to make sure it was done properly. So that was 1800 bucks. I was just about to ask you what like what does that run? So, eighteen hundred every maybe thousand. Maybe it was eight eight hundred or a thousand. I don't. It was ten years ago when I last did it, probably. So I I don't remember off the top of my head. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't cheap. And some people would were like, you know, why are you doing this to a to a car with two hundred fifty thousand miles on it? Well, because the car is two hundred fifty thousand miles on it. Like if I just keep maintaining it like this, it's going to keep running for me. You know, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people don't think. I think people are like, oh, well, it's got a hundred thousand miles, so it's trash, and I have to get a new one. But if you do maintain yep. your car properly and you do your scheduled maintenance and things like that, it'll keep running, and that's why those cars do. Yeah, but yeah, I have, have a have client to- with an A8. He actually just dropped his car off tonight. He has one hundred and ninety-three thousand miles on his A8 TDI, wow. and it's he's put some money into it. It's not like it's been all he's done is oil changes. Like he's had to replace air shocks, which are not cheap. He's had mm-hmm. to um, replace brakes. He's had to replace some suspension control arms because the bushings wear out. It's his office. He drives all up and down the East coast and out to probably the Mississippi roughly. Like he puts miles on his car and he drives it. And he's like, I drive this big, nice, comfortable luxury car, this A8. And it gets me 38 miles a gallon. Oh my God. He's like, I don't want to get rid of this car ever, you know? Yeah. So it's worth it for him to stay in the car and put some maintenance into it because it's just everything he wants in a car. What year is that? 16. Was that the year for the S model? So they have V10s in them that, then, then, or was that the eight cylinder? 16, I believe they moved to the, yes, it was the twin turbo V8. Yeah, because I have uh, another one of my clients has an S8 Plus, and it's a twin turbo V8, and it's a 2012. See, that's, like, that's the thing I like about Audi. Like, it's not like 
a lot of the cars out there where it's like a cookie cutter car for the most part. I mean, there's so many different options. So you have a, a diesel engine option. Uh, you have the you know twin turbo V8 option. Um, I would imagine that the regular A8 is probably the six cylinder, mm-hmm. right? Like the gas, the gas variant. Yeah. And we don't even get all the options that they get in Europe. Like here we got the, the, for that generation, the base was a three liter supercharged V6. And then you could get the uh, four liter V8 twin turbo and then the TDI over in Europe. I think at that time they were also getting the two liter four cylinder. Mm-hmm. Um, A8. Yep. Wow. And they were also getting, I think two other diesel options. I think a diesel four cylinder, and depending on the year, there was probably the V10 TDI option because they did that for a little while in the Jeez. Q7s. Actually, the current SQ7 in Europe, I believe, has a, a TDI. I don't remember what size. But yeah, they were doing V10 TDIs in some of the models for some years. I did, I did see that somewhere on like a Facebook group and or something. They sold that for like a year or two here in, in the Touareg and the Cayenne. Yeah, yes. And I think the Q7 for like a year they sold the v10 tdi and that thing was just a monster that's what i'm thinking of wow do you imagine though like owning one of those things now and having to like repair something on that yeah that's why they didn't stick around long <laughs> because it's i don't think they were any more unreliable than the rest of the lineup I, it's just a lot of maintenance cost yeah sure. and that's also around the same time that like TDI missions were like a thing and like it just mm-hmm. the V10 TDI just didn't make sense to bring over here like it's okay in Europe because they have a market there a big market for diesel but to bring it over here and doing all the testing and it just didn't make sense business-wise for it to stay here but it's definitely a it's kind of a unicorn engine yeah it's so interesting it's like a 10-cylinder diesel like what mm-hmm. and that's it- I, I don't think it's directly related but it's spiritually related to the Le Mans engine. They actually ran a 10-cylinder TDI in Le Mans for a few years. And they, wow, won, really? they won races, yeah. They had wow. to have a fuel tank that was like half the size of their gasoline competitors because of the fuel economy. Yeah. But yeah, they, um, they won Le Mans like, I think throughout the, from like 99 to whenever they got out of it, 2014, 2018, Mm-hmm. I think they won four or five Le Mans, and at least three of them were with the TDI. Interesting. The other thing I thought was like an interesting car is um the, the Passat wagon. They had a um I think early two thousands maybe they had like a W I think they had a W eight version, mm-hmm. which is another kind of like a rarity that you don't really see. Which I think it'd be cool like to have one of those cars like rolling up to you know soccer practice in a, a W eight wagon like that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know, yeah, I guess. they were definitely around. And another unicorn, you could get the W8 with a manual transmission and all-wheel drive. That'd be sweet. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, in a wagon. Like, you could get it sedan or wagon. And most of them were, um, I think they were all all-wheel drive. And then most of them, of course, were automatic. But, yeah, you can, if you scour the internet long enough and the world, you can find a manual transmission W8. Now, the question is, how well was it taken care of? Because they are also another nice, complicated German engine that can go wrong. And if you don't take care of it well, 
it's not going to run well. Yeah. Um, just like a rotary, like if you don't if you don't feed that oil that engine oil, a rotary is going to blow up in ten thousand miles. Mm. But if you if you give it proper care and feeding, it'll it'll last you. What was it the it was 2011 or 2012 it was an RX-8, I think, had the rotary in it, Mazda. Yeah, they started those in 03. And then they, I think they finished building them in 2012-ish. I had a friend that had one back when I had my Mustang. And that was the first time that I was like, wow, this car can handle because it had the independent rear suspension. Mm-hmm. And I had my Mustang and we were up on a mountain road and I was like, wow, this car is just planted. Like it was, it's hard to describe like a Mustang just handles like a Mustang. Mm-hmm. And then I got out of my car and got into his car. And when you put your foot on the gas mid mid corner, it just kind of like tucked and like planted itself. And it was a feeling I had never felt before. And it was really eye opening to how a car could feel. Cause before that I had all front wheel drive cars mm-hmm. and the Mustang, obviously it's, the weight balance isn't great because mm-hmm. of the V8 in the front and it had a, you know, a solid axle in the rear. Mm-hmm. And then I get into this car with a nice compact, small little engine and the independent rear suspension. And it was just totally different. That was an eye opener to what really good handling feels like. Cause they do still, they do handle well, like they just do. So that must've been, I guess, what I guess brought people towards those things because I don't think the power output was that great. Not on those. No. Because and the efficiency wasn't really there. No, no. So it must have been the handling, I guess. Yeah, for sure. It was a great handling sporty coupe. And that that generation had the three doors. So, you know, the somewhat usable mm. rear seats. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the three You know, doors. so it was somewhat yeah. practical. Pretty sure that the chassis is the same one that's underneath the uh, the Miata, too. I think, okay. it's, I think it's a shared com- components there, which makes sense because... You know, it's expensive to make a sports car. Speaking of Miatas, I think there was a lot of people who swapped out the old Miatas with like five liters. Oh, yeah. Like with like Ford, you know, drivetrains and things like that. LS swaps are really big. And those things still? Yeah. I don't think there's a car that's immune to having an LS swap anymore. Like it's just so easy. It's it's easy. I mean, the, the engines are lighter than most other engines that they're swapping them out with. Like it's lighter. The engine is just light and it's compact and the parts are cheap and they make good power and the aftermarket support for power accessories, you know, and, and modifications is there. It's like the easiest thing to do. If you want a good, reliable, powerful engine, put an LS in it, put an LS in it. As much as I disagree with some of the stuff yeah. they put LSs in, I get it yeah. because like I've heard crazy things like an LS is lighter than a rotary. Really? Yeah. Like rotaries aren't actually that light. They're small, but they aren't that light. And you can make three, four times the power easily out of the LS than you can a rotary. And it's mm-hmm. lighter. I've seen people swapping LS motors into Caymans. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it doesn't surprise me. It's how a thing. Would put it, how would you do an LS into a Cayman? I mean, they're mid-engine, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, you kind of don't have, like, they basically had to cut away the, top of like where my engine cover is there's no engine cover anymore and so like i mean it's basically a track car at that point because yeah right there's the creature comforts are gone because you don't have an engine cover or it's modified in a way that you lose any of the practicality that's in the inside of the car 
-hmm. So it's pretty much a track car at that point. So, I saw like, a 9-11. I think it might have been speaking about creature comforts. It just you ever hear of Jay Leno's Garage? Yeah. You ever watch that? Um, I watched it back in the day when it was the first season or two yeah. and it was on TV. Because uh, I think at that time they were still going through his collection. Mm -hmm. I think now they're doing a lot of like guest car things. So they bring a car to his his garage and then he talks about the car. So it's not his car. So I yeah. haven't watched a lot of the recent stuff, but I watched some of the older stuff. The reason I'm bringing this up is because he did an episode. I think it was a Fiesta. It was a Fiesta, I think. Yeah, it's called a, it's called a 1989 Ford Shogun, hmm. which was like a, an 89 Fiesta that had a 3.2 liter Taurus SHO motor in the back. It's like, okay. you know, Fiestas are like really tiny. Um, and the motor literally was like in the back seat of the car. It was just there and mm -hmm. drove the rear wheels. And it was like this little tiny car that was like awesome. It just made me think of it. Like you have an engine in the back of your, like literally in the, like, the passenger compartment like zero regard for creature comforts but pretty cool little car and i think, they, I think they made of, like two of them okay it reminds me of the concept for the renault clio i don't know if you've ever seen one of those but back in no. like the 90s for racing they took a little clio which is the size of like a fiesta normal mm -hmm. drive car and they put one of their v6 engines in the back and made it a mid-engine car and it was designed for some kind of racing class, but because of the rules, it had to be homologated for the street also. So they made like, you know, 500 of them where it's literally your normal everyday hatchback, but in the back is an engine. And the, it's basically looked like a big wooden box put over top of this engine where the rear seat used to be. Mm -hmm. um, I first saw it on Gran Turismo and then I saw you know, like 20 years ago. And then I saw um, a video about one recently and it was actually pretty cool. And it did, it did pretty well, but it was like a monster of a car. They did that with the Renault 5 too, I think, the Renault 5 Turbo back in the 80s. Cause th that car had big fender flares, almost like a 911 Turbo where it's got the vents in the side fenders and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was just this little economy car. It's all cause of I think Group B racing or something. I like that stuff. I loved having like a performance variant of um, even like everyday cars. I think it's really cool. I saw something. It was a Shelby, one of the two-door old Plymouth cars. And, they, and the, the guy, it was one of the You're not YouTube thinking of the guys. Daytona, are you? No, no, it wasn't the Daytona. It was smaller than that. What, it's almost like about the, you're not talking about the Dodge Omni, are you? The GLHS? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's cool, you know. I feel like we're you know, we're definitely getting away from we're getting away from those things for sure. I feel like the like, GLHS was like the hatchback version of the Buick Grand National. Uh -huh. Like you took this random boring car, and then you just hot rotted it, and you have this thing that becomes a cult classic because the GLHS, everything else about it is junk, but yeah. it's just got this cult <laughs> following. You know, and the Grand National, no one knows anything about the Regal or the Grand National or the GNX, except for the Grand National and the GNX. Other than that, they were forgotten with the rest of the 80s, bad, crappy cars. Yeah, but they're still worth a lot of money now. Oh, yeah. And they're becoming more like they're not at their peak yet because I think there's a cycle of, you know, when we were kids, our parents wanted 
cars they grew up with. So all the muscle mm-hmm. cars were popular and their parents wanted the cars they grew up with. So all the cars from the fifties were popular. So like there's this mm-hmm. cycle. So now all of the cars from the nineties are becoming popular because we are, as we are getting older and have some disposable income, right. we as a generation as a whole uh, want to have those cars that we lost it after when we were in school. I always wanted that. I had, you know, I had a bunch of Mustangs. And like every every once in a while, I'll like toy around with the idea of like, oh, do I want like a second car just to like play around with? But like the 03 to 04 Cobras mm. are just the like Terminator. Yeah, they're they're great and they look and they're awesome and but they're like stupid expensive. Yeah, they've always um, been expensive. Even like 10, 15 years ago, I'm like, I just can't be, see spending that much money for them. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. And, like, the IRS parts are probably super hard to come by at this point. Yeah. Um, but I've always been kind of curious about, like, an 01 Cobra. Those were... The unloved ones, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, like, you know, non-supercharged, just a regular... I think they were a 32-valve uh, 4.6, right? Yep. But... The different, like, the, remember the taillights? Have you seen the taillights on this? Do you remember the taillights on, like, that that generation of Mustang? They were red. Yeah, the New and Edge then, cars. Yeah. Yeah. But on the 01 Cobras, they were red, but they had amber turn signals. I think that was unique. That, that to me, would warrant buying that car just because <laughs> it's different. Performance-wise, it's probably not too much different than you know, the Mach 1 was, because that wasn't a tur- that wasn't a supercharged car either. That was just a regular NA 32 valve. I think about that every once in a while. Last, maybe last year or the year before that. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll do like an auto trader search or something. I, I saw one, like for a reasonable price. And I was just like, eh, at that time in my life, I wasn't really prepared for that. Yeah. But it's always, it's always on like my, you know, I'm always thinking about it. Yeah, I don't know if you remember they when they went to the New Edge Mustang in '99. They had a Cobra, and it was a 32 valve, naturally aspirated, but it was not very powerful. So then, or no, it wasn't '99. Was it 2000? They skipped a year. They skipped '01. They skipped a year because they re reevaluated things basically. Because mm-hmm. when they came back out with it, I think they skipped '02. '99 was the first year for the New Edge, and then the Terminators came out in '03. Mm-hmm. And they had, I think it was 99, they skipped 2000, and then they went to 01, or 99, 2000, they skipped 01 and went to 02. One of those in there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. when they brought it back, it was still naturally aspirated. And then 03, they came out with a supercharged. And then also in 03, they came out with the Mach 1, which was mm-hmm. like the old Cobra, naturally aspirated 32 valve. Mm-hmm but with a straight axle instead of the independent rear. Mm-hmm. So it was like a combination of the two. Um, I actually, that was a cool car too. I had, I worked with somebody that had a Mach 1 of that generation and he would take to the drag strip every now and then. It was just a cool car. Like it wasn't, you know, top tier like the Cobra was, but it was, it was different than a normal GT. So like I could appreciate it. Yeah. Even just popping the hood and just looking at that, you know, that 32 valve, V8 was just a nice looking motor. The two valve was just like, you know, yeah. it, it really didn't look like anything. It wasn't yeah. even like, there was it like, it didn't go there. like anything either. It was slow. Yeah, it wasn't fast, but it sounded good though. Yeah. 
I like the way it sounded. At least. That's that's why that's what sold me was I was driving. I had my Civic Si and I was driving mm-hmm. past a used car lot, and there was this mineral gray uh, mm-hmm. GT sitting there. I'm like, ooh, that looks really good. It had like the had the old Krager style wheels, and um, it was a cool like the mineral gray kind of changes color depending on lighting and stuff. So I was like, oh, I wonder what they want for that. And the price was good. And then he fired it up. I'm like, that doesn't sound normal. So I crawled underneath and it had Flowmasters already installed, which is what I would have done anyway. I'm like, sure. this is a score right here. So yeah. yeah. So I had that. I bought that. I got a, a short shifter for it. And I bought 10 and a half inch wheels for the back. and put 315, 3017s on the rear. Um, it was a good looking car. What did you ever do with it? What, what wound up happening to it? Um, I was young and I beat it a lot. And mm-hmm. I, I tested the effectiveness of the limited slip differential a lot. And I, I think the, um, I think the clutches inside the diff were starting to go because the burnout started becoming one tire burnouts instead of two tire burnouts. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I ended up uh, trading it and I sold the wheels to somebody who had a similar car. I had that for two, two and a half years. Those LSDs though, I mean, they're, they're a lot of fun too. Yeah, but I just didn't know how to drive. If I, if I would go back in time, I definitely could appreciate the car more now than I did then. So with that being said, now, you know, would you ever consider another one as no. like a... Uh, now beyond that i still like mustangs and if i have 10 15 car garage at some point i'll have a mustang in there but i'm enjoying trying different things and just kind of exploring like i've always liked lotus elises and wouldn't mind having one of those at some point but the Mm -hmm. cayman's pretty close Mm -hmm. and i'm really enjoying the cayman right now that was kind of like the last chassis configuration that I haven't driven yet. I've owned front engine rear wheel drive, front engine front wheel drive. I've owned all wheel drive. I've owned four wheel drive. The only thing I haven't done yet is mid engine. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to get a Cayman. And um, I'm really happy with it. What did you have that was in four wheel drive? The Explorer. Yeah. So I traded the Mustang for an Explorer. Quite the uh, change. Yeah. And actually, so... I was, it was kind of a weird scenario. Like I knew I hadn't been treating the car well and I was looking <laughs> get, getting something else. Um, and then the same used car lot where I bought it, I was just, I was also dating a girl at the time had a couple of kids and like, I wasn't necessarily thinking clearly, but I was thinking in the moment of, you know, it'd be nice to have more room, even though the kids like the back seat um, and they weren't my kids. So it's like, it doesn't really matter, but I was actually looking at an F two fifty extended cab V ten. Wow, six point eight. Yeah, but and I think it was a two valve too, so it was a dog, and it just sucked gas. It's all it was good at. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, it was that was a one I believe, and it had like one hundred five thousand miles on it. And the banks that this used car lot dealt with didn't do anything over one hundred thousand miles, so it was a no go. So then I got, they also had an Explorer sitting there. So I got the Explorer. It's funny. You don't strike me as a Ford pickup kind of guy. If I want a truck, I want a truck. So my dream truck has always been, it used to be a 350. Now it would be a 450. The biggest like civilian grade truck 
yeah. in the in the crew cab dually long bed like biggest thing you could get but i have zero use for it right but like if i'm going to drive something that's big and obnoxious that's going to be big and obnoxious and i would want to get ever- the one with the nine with the um the 19 and a half inch wheels like the alcoa aluminum wheels yeah you know with the with all the holes and stuff in it like yeah like like the semi truck yeah have you seen there was like a truck it was like an f450 or an f5 it might have been f5 i don't even remember it was basically like a commercial cab with like a regular bed on the back and this thing was like ginormous yeah and and i think i saw somebody did like a review on it or something on youtube or something like that and it was like basically like this thing is worthless but it looks cool. <laughs> yeah. I've seen one of those in Ford. I don't know if I've seen one in Chevy or GM, but I've definitely seen a, seen a Ford version. It's like the five, six fifty. No, it, yeah. it would be a seven fifty. So like the civilian model now goes up to a four fifty. And then like the medium duty is five to seven fifty. Uh-huh. And I think the I think the five fifty is still like on the four fifty frame. Okay. And then the 650, 750 is on like the medium duty frame. So like the tow truck size. Right. And then once you get up above 750, I think it just goes into like actual semi trucks. Again, if you had a 15 car garage, right? <laughs> I wouldn't get one of those. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I will. Yeah, I would get a 450 as a tow vehicle. That's what, why I would have one because I would mm. have I would have a track car at that point too. Then I would be able to justify having a hundred and twenty thousand dollar truck. Right, right. Even like reg- even the regular like 150s are getting to that price range sometimes. Mm-hmm. Cars yeah, you can you can so load up easy. an F150 and and touch the 70 without a problem. Easy, yeah. But that goes. I think that's just the car market these days. It's just cars in general. Like it's it's funny. Like the like Lincoln tried having, you know, the Mark LT and the Blackwood. Yeah, remember the ago. Blackwood? Yeah. Yeah. The tuxedo style bed with the stripes. And then it had yeah. the carpeting on the inside of the bed. Yeah. It, had, it had, had power Blackwood. operating. It was power operating tonneau cover. Yeah. They had that. And then they tried it again with the Mark LT and they didn't sell. But you keep the Ford badge on it. You charge the same amount for the same options. And they sell like you wouldn't believe. They used to have just the, the Eddie Bauer and that like that was the top of the line. And then they added King Ranch. And then like 10 years ago, they added the Platinum and the Limited. And the Limited is what the Lincolns used to be. Right. And how many F-150 Limiteds or Platinums have you seen driving around the road? A lot. Not, well, I, yeah, I, I mean, mean, I haven't com- seen too many myself, but I'm sure they're out there. Compared to how many Lincolns you saw, there's... Right. A lot more, but like, why? Why not? Though, like, why wouldn't you want a Lincoln truck? Like, I would, I would buy one. I have no idea, but they didn't sell. Yeah, but they figured out if they kept the Ford badge on it, they could sell the same truck with the same option, or yeah, with the same options, and they didn't have to. They didn't have to invest in redesigning the looks of the truck just to differentiate it. Even yeah, but even the Mark L two, I mean. It had like a what different instrument cluster, or maybe it had like heated seats, and the grill was probably a little different. Maybe maybe the real chair gate, but like yeah, everything else was pretty. I mean, they didn't really try too hard to differentiate that truck. Well, yeah, that was pretty close, and I think it had the tail lights 
from the navigator and it had the interior from the navigator and then the the front was different than the navigator from what i remember yeah you I, know. I like oh, i like i don't know i mean i i uh I'm a proponent of like different models rather than trim levels or brands also. I liked having like the Lincoln, the Ford, and the Mercury. Now it's just basically Ford with, like you said, the different trim level. I mean, I'm a weirdo. I like Mark Ace, so like we don't need to. Yeah, yeah that's. <laughs> I will never understand that. I'll but bring that's okay. more onto the show one of these days. Don't worry. That's okay. There's, there's stuff I like, and people will never understand that either. So it's it's okay. We could all have our. We can all have the thing that just makes people shake their heads. Yeah, right. Why not? What else is going on? Uh, just hoping we get more snow. I um, I just want more snow. I like snow in general, and I also like to drive in snow. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that. And Are yeah. you, like, do you guys do anything in the snow? Like, do you guys go skiing or anything like that? No. I, I've skied a few times. I haven't done it in probably almost 20 years, maybe mm-hmm. 17 years. Um, I wasn't good at it. I just kind of like went straight yeah. and then I slowed down, but I was one thing, my need for speed always was in the back of my mind because I'm like, this is fun, like going very fast, but I don't have the skill to keep myself safe to go this fast. Right, <laughs> so exactly. I was just, I would like get to a certain point. Like I would take one of the easier routes on this little mountain we went to, and then I would get to a certain point and I would just start like, you know pizza i make the like the v-shape the herringbone <laughs> shape and just so i could slow down because i didn't know how to slow down properly about like turning to the side you know right. like like um uh, what do they call it in hockey when you when you sl- slide to the side uh you icing yeah i know you're talking about yeah i know you're talking about i can't but i don't i don't i'm not into hockey but yeah. it's like you just turn to the side to slow yourself down and right, i just right. never really mastered that very well so yeah. While I like I liked going fast, I also realized that, hey, stupid, you don't actually know how to stop yourself or turn if you need to, so you're probably going to get really hurt. How about snowmobiles? You ever been on a snowmobile? I have not, but that's I really want to. I haven't been on a snowmobile for probably 20 years. I've never been on um, a jet ski. I'd like to try a jet oh ski. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. Gee, you love it. They're the best. Oh, I, I, I know I would. I think the jet ski so and the snowmobile fun. could get me into trouble. But I know I would yeah. enjoy them for sure. Gets into more more problems because you start buying more toys. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't buy any, but I'd want to find ways to enjoy it more often. What's well, another thing? Like you know, you can. I don't know if you can rent snowmobiles. There was yeah. a time where you could in the Poconos. You can you used to be rent. able to, but we don't get enough snow for them anymore. Around here. Yeah, like there were some people fun. that had some when I was growing up back home, um, but we get kind of the same weather we do here now yeah so yeah. like you know once a two or three times a year you would get enough snow and you would just hear snowmobiles going through town and like the roads were dry so they would just skip over the roads through people's yards and stuff or across people's farms and you have to get you on a uh, a wave runner though those things are awesome so when was the last time you go-karted last time i go-karted I've never really done go-karts on the level that you and i were talking about like what i really want to do mm-hmm. um I remember one time, God, it was probably like 15 years ago, a friend and I went to uh, like, a, like an indoor go-kart, like battery track. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And I had a six-cylinder, five-speed, 2000 Mustang convertible, mm. which was 
you know, obviously had extra weight to it and it was really slow. But for some reason that night, it does something, the go-karts do something to you. And then you get into your car and you want to drive the car like the go-kart. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going, like, I was going down the road, like, on the highway, trying to get this thing to get to 100 miles an hour. And it was, like, struggling to do so. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, as I got older and that kind of thing, I, I started looking into, like, the real go-karts, like, the ones that you take on the track. It was like after like a helmet for like that, that like that I was like wow that, that looks fun like let me try that out next time and I'm excited to like go try that out yeah it's been nine years for me and the last place I was at they were they were gas go-karts um it was indoors but they were gas and they actually it's a really good facility um and they change up the track I think at least once a year but I mean there's you could tell they were still limited to an extent as far as speed because it's indoors and stuff. Mm-hmm. I really like to try shifter carts sometime, but mm-hmm. they, they do require some level of skill. And I think, you know, I would want to have more experience with a cart before I step up to shifter carts, but eventually what I'd is, like to try one of those. What is shifter carts? So it's, it's probably what I'm thinking of, but like, like I just want to explain a little bit. Yeah. It's just, like what it sounds like basically it's a go-kart like you think of but instead of having a a clutch type transmission where or a cv it's actually a cvt type transmission where it's constantly varying there's one gear and you're Mm -hmm. limited to a certain speed by the engine kind of like a lawnmower like Mm -hmm. a a normal gas go-kart is kind of like a lawnmower that goes faster and handles better because Mm -hmm. you just have this engine that goes to a certain rpm and it stays there and you have clutches that accelerate you. The shifter card actually has like a three or four speed manual transmission attached oh, to it. Nice. Yeah. And you can get up to a hundred miles an hour on one of those things. Wow. Like that's where formula one race car drivers kind of come from. Like they start out with carts like we were talking about doing when they're like five. Mm-hmm. And then when they're eight and nine, they step up to shifter carts with like 125 CC engines Mm-hmm. And they're doing 80 miles an hour around this track. And then they step up to like some, some like open wheel race cars as a mid step before like mm-hmm. Formula One. But shifter carts is where a lot of race car drivers get their start. And it's just that next step up. Yeah, I would like to, it definitely like, it's on the list of things to do. But I agree with you as, as far as like um, needing some wheel time with other stuff before you jump up to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, normal normal carts are are fun anyway. Oh so, yeah, so much fun. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for that. We'll have to figure out when we're going to set that up. But looking forward to it. Have you heard any car news recently? Still trying to figure out what's going on with the uh, auto show in Philly. Is mm. that, do you know? Is that happening? They are having one. So I don't know if anything's changed since then because I think they don't have anything set in stone except for dates. And I'm sure everything's pretty fluid mm-hmm. with what they're actually going to do or not. Um, I'm sure it's going to be very small if there is one and probably not worth yeah. even going to. Right. I agree. Because what would be there is going to be mostly the boring stuff anyway. I'm curious about the new uh, Honda Civic SI. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like that new body style. It actually reminds me of like the older... Audis a little bit the way that tail lights are set up like we were talking about earlier it's so expensive anymore you get like a decent car that's fun even these 
like the Civic, like it's probably like a thirty-five, forty thousand dollar car for a Civic. Like that used to be an economy car. It's like forty grand doesn't get you anywhere anymore in, in the car world for like new cars, especially right now. But I'm excited for that car because I think I think that would be a nice like daily driver commuter, but that you could have fun with and not have to worry about repairing it or the maintenance on it or that kind of thing too much. I've I've so, definitely heard some good things about it. Yeah, my eyes, my eye. That's probably. I probably have my eye on that the most and uh, rather than anything else that's coming out anytime soon. I still would love Lincoln to do some type of performance variant again, but I doubt they're going to. I can't see it happening. Nah, it's definitely not, but one can dream. I um, I was driving my father-in-law's car, which is a twin to my wife's car on Sunday. Her car is a, a 2011 G37 sedan, and he has a 2010 G37 sedan, which used to be her mom's car. He can't drive right now, so we try to drive it like once a week or so. And so mm-hmm. I was running some errands, and I took that, and I was turning like when you turn like into a parking lot, and it's like a 90 degree turn at like 15, 20 miles an hour, or like just around a couple of corners. I was like feeling like this. It feels weird, and like why does it feel different than her car? And it happens a lot. I'll be driving it. And I can compare them because they're basically the same car. If one is feeling one way, I expect it to feel the same in the other car. So I'm like, well, maybe the tire pressures are down a little bit, or maybe it's because the tires are a little worn, or I don't know. And like, because it just felt like I would make the turn and the car would then settle and it would like, you could feel the weight shift a little bit. But then after a little bit, I was on my way home and I realized it's because of the tires. So she has the Pirelli Cinturato, or not he, she, he does on the old older car. And I just put the Michelin all season four on her car. And that's what I was feeling. The sidewalls were softer on the Pirelli. And it just, I was feeling the, the delay of the sidewall flexing in response to what I had, with the inputs I'd put in the car. Whereas I've already gotten used to she used to have those same tires on the car, but now with the Michelins, I've gotten used to having a more responsive tire like the summer tires on the Cayman, where when I turn, it does something. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, this is actually really cool because I can feel a difference between the before and after of the two different types of tires. And obviously like the Michelin is a higher performance tire, but the Pirelli is still labeled as a performance all season. So it's just a step down. So I just thought that was, it was interesting that I could actually feel a difference between the two. Yeah, that's cool. Um, are they the same diameter or same rim, like the same rim size? Yeah. So cars? when we got the Pirellis, it was the last time she needed tires and the Chinterado had just been released. So I thought I would like to, I would just try it because I actually, I use my personal cars as a test bed for being able to recommend tires to customers or mm-hmm. just use personal experience. And so I've never put the same tire pretty much on any of my cars. I've always tried something different. But anyway, when these tires first came out, they weren't available in the correct size. So instead of it being a 225-50-18, they were 235-50-18. So it wasn't that big of a difference. So that's what's on the, the, his car now. And, but yeah, there's, they're both 18 inch tires, same exact size, basically. I like the but, idea of 
you know, putting different tires on you know, the same car so you can yeah. test it, recommend it. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that, and it, with her car, it's also partly because we haven't been able to find a tire we can agree on. Mm-hmm. So the tire that was factory on her car is a Dunlop. It was a high performance all season, but it was realistically a three season because if if you were driving in the snow, it to me, it drove like a summer tire. Like it was trash. And 10 years ago, when the car was like two years old, those tires were like $312 a tire. Jeez. 10 years ago. And so I'm like, I'm not putting those back on the car. So we got some Michelin. Um, they're like a Grand Touring tire. The mm-hmm. Primacy MXM4. Mm-hmm. She didn't like those because they didn't have enough dry traction for her. She liked the performance tires that were on before. So after the Michelins wore out, we tried the Pirelli. And the Pirelli are very mediocre. They're fine for the average person, but they didn't have the performance I really wanted. Like they were they were okay in the dry. They were okay in the rain. They were okay in the snow. Like just weren't great. Mm-hmm. So then I wanted to try something else. And then the new pilot all season fours came out and i thought i'd try those and so far i'm happy with them the only thing i haven't trust, tested yet is uh is snow so that's on the list we have to get some snow first right yeah the dunlops are still available even though it's t- 10 12 years old tire now like most tires are phased out and replaced with a newer model with newer technology mm-hmm. the dunlop mm-hmm. is still available and it's still outrageously expensive, even though it's an old tire. The only reason they sell any of them is because they came factory on this car. Otherwise, they wouldn't sell a single tire because the reviews are terrible. How much are they a tire? I think they're still in like the upper twos to low threes. Mm. You know, like $312 a tire 10 years ago is like $400 a tire now. Right, right. You know, I feel like I don't hear too much from Dunlop anymore. Not really. Not They're not really a big OEM. Like most most manufacturers use either Goodyear, Michelin, Continental, yeah. or Bridgestone. Dunlop doesn't really do a whole lot in the OE space. They do a lot with motorcycles, I think. I think NASCAR too, right? I thought they were still Goodyear. Oh, it was or Goodyear, they, yeah. Or did they right, switch? Yeah. Nah, I think you're right. And That's I think true. Dunlop used to be in like some endurance racing, but like Lamar and everything, they're all Michelin now. I've had a good experience with Continental. I've had mixed. When I was working at the Ford dealer... Um, we were getting Continentals in on focuses all the time to have bubbles in the sidewalls. So it was probably due to the size of the tire. Mm-hmm. And then on my Audi, I had Continentals on that and they were great. And then I've seen other Continentals that are kind of like middle of the road. And mm-hmm. I've had, I have had a middle of the road Continental. So I've kind of had a little bit of everything it really depends mm-hmm. on what you get. I think the size of your rim and I guess your suspension sub, I think also comes into play a little bit yeah i mean that's one thing you got to keep in mind is is the tire suited for the car and the type of driving you want to do with it yeah you definitely have to be dialed in that's for sure so you think you want to call it a night yeah probably i think that was pretty good don't you think yeah we talked about a lot today and um i didn't even bother introducing the audience because they're just here sitting chatting with us so uh yeah appreciate you guys coming back and Take a look at the next episode. That'll be coming to you shortly. And we'll talk to you then. Sounds good.